So that's going to conclude our announcements. We're going to go ahead and get into uh, Galatians 6. If you've got a Bible and you want to join me, we'll start in verse 6. Now, I read out of the LSB, so it'll be <coughs> a little different than what's there on the screen. <coughs> Let's see. And the one who is instructed in the word is to share in all good things with the one who instructs him. Right? We are all instructed in the word as a believer. Right? God knows what we're doing. Good, bad, indifferent. Right? But he wants us to share it with him. He wants us to go, thank you, God, for what you've done. Right? There are so many ways that we can be thankful for things. I turned 54, and yes, my license says that, on Friday, right? But not only was that a good thing, but I got vested in my second pension on Friday. It is also National Coffee Day, and if you know me, that makes sense. So I had a lot of good going on, and I have to thank God for that. He knows all this, Amen. but I still have to open my heart up and pour it out to him. I need to let him know that I appreciate it because you know what? When I tell God how much I appreciate what he's doing, inadvertently, I'm acknowledging he's the source. I am not the source of my goodwill. I'm not the source of good or bad in my life. God's in charge of my life. If I stay humble to him, he'll work his work through me. Now, does that mean I won't face adversity? No. Right? Most people don't know it. My mom had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And she'd been hiding it well. A couple weeks ago, she had a break. Pretty severe one. Took her a few days to kind of come back to normal. I had to place her in a nursing home. It's one of those things that it's very emotional for me. I get to now be the parent. But when you see this, right, I was preaching out of Ecclesiastes last week. There's a time to reap, a time to sow, a time for birth, a time for death. There's good and bad that all have their time in life. I have to acknowledge I didn't like it, but it served a purpose, right? If, if you know my story, you know I survived a stroke. 5% of the people survive, right? Didn't want to go through it, but I give God the glory for it. Amen. I followed that up by a year of cancer where they took me through cancer, took a foot of my large intestine, and six months of chemotherapy. Did I want to go through it? Absolutely not. Did I give God the glory for it? Absolutely. Amen. Mike was sitting right here. I'm praying at the altar just after my diagnosis. He whispers in my ear. Think of how God is expanding my testimony by putting me through it and bringing me out of it. When we can look at the bad things in life as part of the plan, we can walk through them a whole lot easier. We don't have to just give up, throw our hands up, 
and pout and cry and go, why, God, why? We can just stand back and go, I don't know, but I'm going to trust in you. Amen. Let's see. We're going to start in seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And for the one who sows in his own flesh, he will from the flesh reap corruption. But for the one who sows in the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap. If we do not grow weary. Right? Where I live is out in unincorporated Lincoln County, right? It's a beautiful little place in God's green earth, right? I grew up in Kenlock. I moved to Berkeley. We got uppity. We moved all the way to Overland, right? <laughs> we, you know, we were big time in it. So from there, I live out here in the country now, and I get to see an aspect of God every year that is just amazing. Because I drive by these fields, and they're just fields. There's nothing there. And in the springtime, a farmer comes along, and he turns that field, and he plants. And I can't see really much difference other than the ground's a little lumpier, right? But it's there. But every day when I'm driving to work, I see that go from a dirt field to little green sprouts, to little bigger sprouts. And every now and then I'm driving on the road and I pass them, you know, 20 times a week and don't think about it. But suddenly it hits me that that's a whole lot taller. And then I realize there's a wall of corn. And there's this road by my house called Graven's Road, which I absolutely love. It's in a floodplain, so it's pretty flat and open. And a guy plants corn on both sides of it. And you see this corn start growing. And before long, you're in a, a, a tunnel of corn, right? It is just wall-to-wall corn right to the edge of the road. And it's such a unique experience. But the farmer then comes along, and like now he's reaping what he sowed, right? He's harvesting, right? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today in our message is getting out and harvesting, right? Being the farmer, getting out there, being that guy harvesting what we need to get right and it's amazing because you see god multiply things because you know every corn plant that's as tall as i am started with that little seed and i did a little research and i found out that corn that we eat makes one ear per plant corn for feed might make two but that's it but you think about how many kernels of corn are on a cob God multiplied that one into hundreds, right? He can multiply anything we do in our lives that's good and honoring to him, right? We have to be willing to honor him. It tells us if we reap in our own flesh, we reap corruption, right? But if we reap in the spirit, we get blessed, right? God will magnify that in our lives. I need my spirit magnified a hundred times over each and every day. And I got to trust God to do that and work in my life for it. We're going to go ahead and collect the offering. Uh, We're going to pray for it first. Lord, we just ask that you be with us all today. 
that you open our hearts up, Lord, that you let us hear a message from you, that you um, just watch over everyone who's here, everyone who couldn't be here, Lord. Ask that you bless the gift and the giver. Ask that you use a supernatural multiplication on it, Lord, to make it more than it is. Lord, we ask that you do that so that we can continue to expand your kingdom, that we can uh, just be a light in this world, Lord. We uh, know we don't do it on our own accord, Lord. We know we only do it through you and your strength. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. As I told the earlier service, it was quite funny. Aaron, Pastor Aaron's preaching out at Moscow. We both seem to come up on the same harvest theme. And I'm sitting there watching him last night. And he was in the message came out of Matthew, or the, the tithe message came out of Matthew, and his message came out of Galatians. My, the tithe message, came out of Galatians, and my message is in Matthew. Amen. So I'm kind of like, I think God's got his hand on it. So oh. we're going to start, well, I guess I'm in Matthew 9, 935. And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to pause there. The synagogues are obviously Jewish temples, right? It's where they came to learn. They didn't come like we do once a week. They would come multiple times. They came for the feast days, right? And when they came to, we'll call it church, they had one of the priests read something from the books of Moses, right? The Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible. And then they had another priest who would read from the prophet's writings, right? And then they would have a guest, normally a high-ranking rabbi or someone of importance, and he would offer an interpretation of one of the readings. Because if I tell you what God's word says, but I neglect for you to understand it, if I fail to teach you how to apply it or what it means, then I've done nothing. I haven't blessed you at all by telling you something you don't understand. We have to make sure that when we learn God's word, we know how to apply it, what the correct meaning of it is. Because if I teach you incorrectly and you teach someone incorrectly, that goes on for a very long time multiplying, right? That is why scripture tells me through its holy word that I have to be sure of what I'm saying because I'm held to a higher account. Because I'm teaching, I'm pastoring, right? There is an, a, an increased responsibility placed on me. So I want to make sure I'm doing it right. Now, he's going through and we're learning and they're teaching, right? There is a, a town called Berea. It's in the book of Acts, right? Paul is there and he's ministering to him and he's explaining the gospel to him and he's trying to teach them that the Messiah has come, right? What do they do when he's done? They run off and they search the scriptures, right? And they search it not to go, was he wrong or was he automatically right? But to see, was his understanding, did it align with God's word? 
that was what they did, and that's what we should all do, is make sure that when we read or learn something, never because I tell it to you, assume it to be 100% accurate. Because last I checked, I'm still a flawed human, right? I make mistakes just like everybody else. But you know what? Spend the time in God's word. Make sure I'm telling the truth. And if not, please rebuke me with gentleness, right? That's how we're supposed to do it. And I'm going to remind you gently. All right. Now, Jesus is going from town to town. This is roughly, I know most people think of biblical times. They think of little villages, you know, 75, 50 people, right? In, in the area that Jesus' ministry went, there were about 204 villages at the time of Jesus' life. According to the historian Josephus, there was about 3 million people living there. These were not itty-bitty little communities. Right? These were, some of these were very large, vast cities. Right? And he's out ministering to them. And it says, and he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, these people had heard that there was a miracle worker coming through town. And he could heal me. He could heal my illness. He could take it away. My leprosy, which would prevent me from even being able to enter into town, he could remove it. If I was blind, he could make me see. If I was mute, he could make me speak, right? The book talks about nine different miracles in the book of Matthew alone, right, that precede this. By no means is nine. I believe it was the apostle John that wrote that if he tried to document everything that Jesus, miracle Jesus did, it would take more than the books of the world, right? Jesus did not stop with nine, but he gave us just nine examples, right? He's going around and he's healing these people, right? Now, the book of Matthew, if you look at it, kind of through a scholarly eye, we talk about the introduction of Jesus in the beginning, and then books, chapters like four through nine kind of go into Christ's public ministry, right? The big picture. And nine here, we're making a very important transition. We're going to an individual ministry. We're talking to people, not just broad groups. He's getting personal with it because that's how we're supposed to do ministry, especially now. He laid that example out for us. Now, he's healing these people, right? These are the lowlifes, right? These are the undesirables. These are the unemployed because something's wrong with them. They're the beggars or the ones hanging out on the street, right? They were dirty, scuzzy people, and Christ loved them. I will tell you beyond any shadow of a doubt, none of them were worse than I when I came. They may have been unclean. They may have stunk to high heaven, but he still loved them, right? And when Jesus healed, he didn't, as a general rule, wave his hand and they were healed. It did happen. The one person was gone and the father was there and he was asking Christ to come. And he said, your faith alone is greater than anyone in Israel. And he healed to that person remotely. But most everything he did when he healed, he touched. He laid his hands onto that person. 
right? Now you're talking about great mass multitudes of people and he's healing them with an individual touch, right? He didn't do the fast and easy way. Invalids over here, mutes here, blind people over here, and just kind of boom, boom, boom. All right, we're all good and we move on, right? It wasn't an individual experience. It wasn't intimate. We, Jesus had an intimate experience with people, right? You look, when you greet someone, you know. We shake hands. If you're close to them, we hug them, right? It's one of those things. We embrace. It's a very intimate thing. That's how we know you express your relationship with one another. I can tell whether you've met for the first time or you guys have known each other forever, Right? Because of that level of intimacy. Christ wanted to touch everyone he healed so he could have that intimacy. And the great news is, is now that he's dead and gone, he's reascended to the Father, he's sitting up there waiting, and they've sent the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? Well, we were touched, but they were touched by God to be healed. I'm healed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't reach down and physically touch me. It is indwelling inside me. Right? How more personal can you get? When the Old Testament was set up, you went to the temple to meet God. He was there. Right? When Christ came, he was a physical being and he lived amongst us. Now that Christ has reascended, we have the Holy Spirit and he's indwelling in us. There is no more intimate than you can get than being inside me, right? And we get to experience that day after day. Now, after seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. We all know the purpose of a shepherd, right? Right? Shepherds would look over the flock. A shepherd would get his flock in the morning and he'd lead them up to the hillside and make sure they fed on grass. He'd move them down to the stream so they could drink. Or he pulled water from a well so they could drink. He made sure their needs were met. But he didn't just make sure their needs were met. He defended them. He rescued them. He was their savior. When they fell into a pit, that fancy shepherd's hook that everybody knows, and I never understood the purpose of it, but that hook is so I could reach down if he's stuck in the mud and get underneath him and lift him up and free him. If he was trapped in a pit, I could pull him loose, right? But the other end of that hook, that's a stick. And if something came to attack him, that's what he used to defend himself and the flock. He didn't sacrifice one of them so the rest of them could get away. Right? Amen. He knew he had to stay and fight for them. And he put his life between them and danger. And as a shepherd, that's what people need. We need to know someone is going to be there on our side. Right? We all know. We can't face a flock of woods, wolves on our own. At least I hope you know that. I hope you know you need a savior. Amen. Right? Not just physically, but spiritually. We need a savior. 
We have to be aware of that. And he could see in these people that they didn't have that. So he wanted to be, he was going to be that for them. And they had to know that and they had to come to an understanding. So he not only taught them, but he showed them love and compassion. And love and compassion in a world goes a very long way, right? Christians are known by their acts, right? The fruit they bear, right? We are seen in the world because we are different than the world, right? We never want to be part of the crowd. If I blend in, then I'm not doing my job. I need to be that guy. I work in a public school system. And you know what? On my work radio, they call me preacher man. Why? Because they know who I am. This is my profession. That's my job. Right? This is what I do because this is the calling I have. It's not my paycheck. You know? That's not my premise. Right? But I share my faith everywhere because I'm called to. Let's see. They were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. All right. Now we're in harvest season. All right. Like I told everybody earlier, I got tomatoes in my garden right now. Can I harvest them in October? Absolutely. Right. Can I harvest them in November? Maybe if it's not. All right. Anybody think I can get away with it in February? Right. Right. In February, we all know it's too late. They're gone. Right? Why? Because a harvest has a season. Right? Solomon wrote about it in Ecclesiastes, and it's still true. He was the wisest man to ever walk the earth next to Christ. And he knew there was a time for it to do it. We got Jesus telling us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That harvest are, we are outnumbered in this country about four to one. Believers to non-believers, right? In Europe, 6% of the population go to the church on a weekly basis. Less than, I think, 80% go monthly, right? Christianity has fallen away, side. it's old, it's outdated, right? We don't need it anymore. Horrible outlook in the world, right? We see the way our world's going. Okay, I'm getting to watch my time. But we see the way the world's going, right? We have to be that, right? We have to get out, right? He's telling us to harvest is plenty. We got so many non-believers that surround us every day that we need to be out there talking to them. We need to be sharing it with them, right? And why? Because we're in a harvest season, right? Not just a specific time of year, but people will come in and out of your life and they come in and out in seasons. The people you met when you were in high school you may still know some of them, but most of them you don't know. You could work with somebody for just a few weeks and then they're gone, right? They were brought into your life for a season, right? You have to seize that season to evangelize to them, talk to them, make sure that you know that they know. I can tell you I have fallen short. I'm going to have to answer to God one day on the, on the throne of judgment. Uh, how come I let somebody I knew who wasn't a believer get away without sharing the gospel? Right? I don't want to have to account for that, but I'm going to. We're all going to. 
It's not just pastors and preachers and deacons. We are all called through the Great Commission to go out and evangelize the world. Now, we can all agree to go. I can agree to do it. You can. We can come together collectively. We can sign a pact that we're all going to go do it. And that's a great thing. But what God wants us to do, Jesus' words himself say, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Right? He's telling us, like he started in the beginning, right? Come to him. Talk to him. Tell him, Lord, bring me non-believers so that I can evangelize to them and they can become laborers and they can go out and help us harvest these souls. Right? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about putting people in heaven. Right? We're talking about saving people from eternity in hell. Right? If you think you love someone in your family, even if you don't like them, because we all got those people, but you don't evangelize to them, there is nothing meaner you can do than let someone go to hell with because I didn't want to tell you about heaven. We have to be that guy. We have to be willing to do that. If you're a believer, these are Jesus' words. We don't have much choice. I mean, you can lose to ignore him. I don't want to have to answer for that later in life or beginning of my new life. I want to be able to say, Lord, I did it to the best of my abilities. I know I fell short from time to time, but I, hopefully I got better the more I did it. Right? But if you're not a believer, then you're going to hell. I mean, let's, let's talk on popular theology. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how much good you do. I don't care how you know many puppies you rescued. You're going to hell. Right? Only if you can acknowledge that I have to die to myself. I have to decrease me to increase him. Right? I have to know that I am a sinner at the very core of me. I still am a sinner at the very core of me. Don't ever kid yourselves that you've gotten Christian enough that you're not. The Apostle Paul calls us sinners and saints. Why? Because in God's eyes, we are both. Because in the future, I'm a saint, but now I'm a sinner. Right? My eternity will be in sainthood, and I appreciate the mercy that took to get me to there. Amen. But if you're a believer that think I can do it on my own, you're wrong. If you think that, you're wrong, and hell awaits you. And hell awaits your family and your friends and anyone you're going to be too quiet to go out and speak to. Right? If you're not a believer, acknowledge you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you can't do this on your own. One of the lines in one of the songs is paying a debt I couldn't pay, paying a ransom I couldn't afford, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Christ paying for your sin debt and becoming a new creature in him. But not only just accepting him, but you have to accept him and then you have to become obedient to him. You have to make him the Lord of your life. You have to learn and understand what he's trying to teach you, right? That what he expects of you. If your kids do something good, that's great. But if they don't do what you expect, are you really happy with them? You know, if I tell you, you oh, great, you took the trash can out, but, you know, you didn't do the nine other things that you knew you were supposed to do, 
Uh, you know, the trash can doesn't really weigh a lot, but, you know. I want you to be obedient to Christ. I want you to know him. I want you to accept him and be, let him be your Lord, right? We are going to uh, do the Lord's Supper next and uh, watch a video. And thank you, guys. God bless. Let's close in prayer real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day and we thank you for the message. Lord, we just ask that you... Uh, be with each and every one of us here today, Lord. Keep us safe, keep us protected, and help us stay focused on you until we can meet again. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.